0: From WNUR News, I'm Ellie Stevens. You're listening to the Six O'clock News on WNUR, 89.3 FM slash HD1, Evanston, Chicago. It's Wednesday, November 2nd, 2022. Tonight on WNUR News, Jody Cantor and Megan Tuie share their stories with Northwestern. Reactions to Taylor Swift's midnight release, and is Boba going to replace coffee? those stories coming up tonight on WNUR News at 6 o'clock. Thanks for tuning in. Five years ago today, Jody Cantor and Megan Toohey broke the story of sexual assault allegations against movie producer Harvey Weinstein. Last Monday, the Pulitzer Prize-winning journalists shared their stories with Northwestern. Mary Randolph has the story.
1: How does one go about conducting a groundbreaking investigation? Last Monday, Northwestern Haleel and Medill welcomed two Pulitzer Prize winning journalists to campus to answer this question and more. Jody Cantor and Megan Toohey spoke about their 2017 investigative reporting on the sexual assault allegations against movie producer Harvey Weinstein.
2: At the beginning of an investigation, you don't really know what the truth is. And so you have the anxiety of not knowing, and that cannot you know it can feel very unresolved you know are you going to find out what are you going to find out was there actually any wrongdoing is there really a story there then when you begin to learn things the anxiety shifts to the second stage which is kind of a different form which is I have this information but can I put it in the paper can I prove it and that was a That was a long and difficult moment in the Weinstein investigation. It's the moment that brought us together, and it lasted for most of the investigation, and it mounted as we learned more and more of these women's stories.
1: That was Jody Cantor describing their journalistic process, and for W N U R News, I'm Mary Randolph. In conversation with Medill Professor Patty Wolter, Cantor and Tui discussed their journalistic work, their book, she said, recounting their investigative journey, and the upcoming movie by the same name. The film is screening at the Wilmet Theatre tonight at seven for Northwestern students. Cantor and Tui are played by Zoe Kazan and Carrie Mulligan, respectively. The movie chronicles theirs and their sources' journeys of bringing the story to light.
2: It lives, I think, alongside the sort of real facts of the investigation as contained in this book in what we think and hope can be, like, a pretty healthy way. And then the bold, provocative thing about it is that it returns the Weinstein story to Weinstein's
1: medium and his native ground. Cantor and Tui visited as part of the Nierenberg Family Foundation annual speaker event. The tradition started in 2015 and has brought speakers, including Holocaust scholar Deborah Lipstadt and White House correspondent Maggie Haberman. Northwestern Hillel executive director Michael Simon said he was excited to collaborate with Medill for this event and broaden Hillel's reach on campus.
3: Is a center for Jewish life here at Northwestern and the catalyst for all kinds of expressions of Jewish identity. And we, um, as one, we do all kinds of programming. And one of the things that like I've been very excited to do is to create partnerships that like um, kind of amplify our impact on the broader campus.
1: Cantor and Simon initially connected about planning an event in 2019. Though the journalists first planned to come speak in April of 2020, it was postponed and later rescheduled for April of 2022 before getting rescheduled again for this fall. The complications of getting Cantor and Tui to campus, Simon said, reminded him of Dayenu, a song sang at Passover Seder in the Jewish tradition.
3: and Dayenu means it would have been enough for us. Um, and basically the song is like, if God had, like, like taken us out of slavery but not brought us like out of the desert to the promised land it would have been enough and like if if God had brought us out and like not fed us mana in the desert it would have been enough Dayu so like we had a feeling of like if they just get to campus like they're both here on campus and even if the program is flat and nobody shows up like Dayu it would be enough um, and it turns out like just like in the song, Um, it turned out to be so much, like, basically it met and exceeded, I think, all of our expectations, which was really something fulfilling for us.
1: Simon said he appreciated the level of student engagement and attendance at the event because public speaking events often draw an older crowd. They welcomed around 100 people in the McCormick Foundation Center Forum.
3: The Nirenbergs, when they first provided funding for this, they really said, we want to fill the audience with students like the point is it's a campus and we want students to be exposed to these great voices and i that is exactly in line with where what i wanted for it
1: one student attendee medill third year henry roach had been awaiting this event since he read and loved she said last spring
3: that was a very impressive
2: piece of reporting i thought it was a very instructive book as well for investigative journalism to get such an inside look from not a biography or an external story, but from the two journalists who wrote such a big story to have their internal perspective on every step they took to get
4: it to happen.
1: Henry had a chance to pose a question to them about how journalism becomes canonized into history. He also asked about the chapter in their book about Dr. Christine Blase Ford, who accused now Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh of sexual assault.
2: My question for you is, as not only your Harvey Weinstein story, but she said in the story of how you told this story, and how it the me to movement as this becomes part of journalism history and part of our global history and how it's talked about what are your hopes but perhaps also your fears for what might happen as it becomes a history.
1: Tui and Cantor responded with an enthusiasm for his thoughtful understanding of their work and said now the story is in the hands of its audience, not just them.
2: We can't control everything about how this is remembered in the future, right? We could spend the rest of our lives trying and probably not succeed. I think it's our goal to tell it as straight as possible, to let the women, the sources, speak for themselves, to leave really good records of what happened so that even though we may be the primary narrators but you know we're not the sole narrators of what happened and then hope that the right themes come to the fore.
1: Medill first year Lena Peterson said the event reminded her of the power of our collective voices. Because Lena identifies as Jewish and is involved with Hillel on campus she said Cantor a powerful Jewish woman was especially inspiring to her just think it's inspiring, like, to be, like, a Jewish woman and to see another Jewish woman in the same field that you want to go into, like, really be able to use her voice in such a powerful way. It just, like, adds a little bit to, uh, I guess, my connection to her and her experiences. Professor Walter, who moderated the event, said she hopes students took from the event the idea of passion for one's work.
2: There's a lot of conversation in the culture right now about um, how hard we have to work in our jobs and work-life balance and quiet quitting and all this uh, kind of stuff. And we're rethinking work post-pandemic and how much we need to be in offices. And then there's this book and this movie that both talk about and show how much good investigative reporting is a 24-7 kind of job. And I think that, I hope rather that rather than scare people, that there's a recognition that jobs you're passionate about make, fulfill your life.
1: Tickets are still available for the screening of She Said at 7 p.m. tonight at Wilmette Theater. Shuttles are running from 625 University Place. Hillel and Medill continue to hold programming events throughout the year, with Hillel's Celebrity Speaker event a week from today on Wednesday, November 9th.
0: Moving on to arts and entertainment, Taylor Swift's highly anticipated new album, Midnights, finally came out on October 21st, and Northwestern students have many thoughts. Here's Veronica Silvosa with the story.
3: It's me
4: Taylor Swift has been the name on everyone's lips in the past few days, whether you like it or not. The world-famous songwriter released her latest album, *Midnights*, on October 21st, which was met with some rave reviews from critics but mixed reviews from fans. A lot of people are loving her return back to pop, while some miss her folklore days, and some just don't like the album at all. No matter how one feels about the album, it's obviously a success. *Midnights* became the most streamed album on Spotify in a single day. Sarah Wax, the president of East Fairchild, the Communications Residential College, helped contribute to the streams along with the rest of her dorm. Chloe Morton and I, uh, president and vice president of CRC, we hosted a listening party for residents in the dorm. Probably had like 30 people come, I hung up a bunch of lights, and we had like a very like mood lighting in there, and we made everyone silent so we could all like absorb the music and it was a it was a pretty good time. Wax is one of many Swifties on campus and she mostly had positive thoughts about the album. I thought it was good it's definitely not her best but I think a lot of the songs still carry a lot of the same like lyricism and musicality that a lot of her other music has some of it's just like really silly and catchy but I think overall it has a lot of good things about it like there are definitely some songs that are in there that are, like, personal top 10, um, but then there are also some in there that are personal, like, worst of them. Along with the initial release of the album, Swift has also released a 3AM version of the album with seven additional songs and two music videos, one for Bejeweled and one for Antihero. Um, I do really like the 3AM version songs. I think they help bring the whole album together. This is Emma Manley, another CRC resident and Swifty that attended Sarah's listening party. Um, I do think most of my favorites are on the, like, regular edition, but it was fun to listen to. I actually, like, went to bed, like, 45 minutes before the 3 a.m. ones came out, and then, um, I ended up listening to them in the morning. Um, but I really did enjoy them. It was just a good way to close the album. Like, Mastermind is so good, but it did feel like there was a little more that had to be said. With a lot of praise, there also came a lot of criticism, from people being disappointed with Lana Del Rey's underwhelming feature on the song Snow on the Beach, to questionable lyrics such as, Sometimes I feel like everybody is a sexy baby. Ani Cabilio, another student here on Northwestern, did not enjoy the album and agreed with a lot of the criticism regarding the lyrics.
5: I don't particularly enjoy listening to newer Taylor Swift just because I feel as though there isn't a clear perspective and I feel as though her sound changes with every album in a way that's not particularly authentic. So I have a hard time listening because also lyrically, I just don't think there's much finesse there. Examples of lyrics I hate from the album. Karma is my boyfriend. The one about the eyeliner being so sharp that it could kill a man, right? My least favorite lyric, though, that I've experienced from the whole album, because it was truly an experience, was when I heard and saw in the Bejeweled music video Miss Swift going, I can reclaim the land. I feel like that's silly. A white woman to say, to put, to include a line in a song that says, I can reclaim the land. seems a little tone deaf to me
4: discussions about the album have been flooding social media for weeks and i don't think it will be going away anytime soon from bejeweled going viral on TikTok to more music videos coming out in the near future midnight has made its
0: impact the sweet tasty treat that is boba has young people hooked many choosing it over their daily coffee but are we ready to replace coffee shops with this new phenomenon Laura Weissman has the story.
6: At a college like Northwestern, taking a morning stroll through campus will reveal many sights. The number one scene is young adults craving their daily caffeine boost. Whether it's from Norbucks, Brew in Main Library, or the Keurig in the safety of their room, You will be hard-pressed to take a walk and not find a student with a drink in hand. Lately, however, a new drink has taken over the minds and hearts of 18- to 22-year-olds. Bubble tea, boba, milk tea, bubble milk tea, whatever you may call it. The sweet milky drink over ice with tapioca pearls at the bottom has millions hooked. The drink can be traced back to the 1980s in Taiwan. It was popularized by students who bought it from street vendors for breakfast or as a snack. Not much has changed today, as there are over 10 boba shops in walking distance of Northwestern's campus, and in many cities, other cities across the country. So the question arises, are boba shops the new coffee shops? Brittany Lee seems to think so. She's worked at boba shop Happy Lemon in downtown Evanston for seven months.
4: A lot of people are going to the Melchie's, um... I see less and less people going to Starbucks and stuff like that. And like during study sessions, people used to have like boba and waffles from places like Happy Lemon. More than more often
6: than happy. Bubble tea was originally only found in Taiwan and East Asia. Its incorporation into American culture is a reflection of mass immigration to the United States in the 1990s. Taiwanese people brought boba with them. As immigrant families struggled to make a living for themselves, they opened boba shops for economic stability. While boba is beloved by many young people across the nation, it is primarily marketed to just that, young people. Second year, Zella Melfred works in Brew, the coffee shop located in Main Library on Northwestern's campus. The shop has a wide range of drinks on their menu, with pretty equal parts boba and coffee. She says most people getting boba tend to be students. Um, I
0: feel
5: like if there is like maybe a professor or an adult who works in the library, Chances are they're probably not getting boba. You know, I think the only people I've served boba to has been, like, college students. Um, So kind of in that younger age range. Um, And if older people come in, it's generally, like, more of a coffee drink.
6: Lee, the happy lemon worker, had a similar observation. Um, Our demographics does range a lot from, like, high schoolers, but mainly college students, since we're right next to Northwestern. Lee also said that the busiest time of year in her boba shop is during final season. Many Northwestern students stop by for a quick boba reward as a break from the turmoils of the quarter system. But even students who enjoy boba are hesitant to replace coffee shops with this new tapioca pearl delight. First year, Jada Hakari has worked at small coffee shops in Michigan and California. She doesn't think boba's rise in popularity has given coffee much competition. Like, it's just, like,
2: two separate things. Like, people come get their coffee, like, every single morning whereas, like, with boba, like, boba's more like a treat. It's not something, like, you get every morning, like, comparing, like, a coffee shop to a
6: Second year, Emily Hancock had a similar sentiment. She pointed out that coffee is a necessity for her every day, whereas boba is not.
4: I mean, like, the boba shop that I grew up around was just, like, half boba shop,
6: but also mostly just a Thai food restaurant. So, like, that to me is kind of, something that you get with something else whereas coffee is like I need that in order to like wake up in the morning so very different purposes within my life. The consensus seems to be that we are not ready to let go of our coffee cups in favor of boba ones just yet. The resistance from students to rebrand boba shops as the new coffee shops does not however take away from how fantastic boba is. In my sweet tooth opinion the treat should definitely be incorporated into all of our weekly routines. Milford from Brew in Main Library says that boba is one of their most popular menu items every day. She says the milk teas are the most popular. First year, Ashton Arjomond is a frequent brew customer and had a few recommendations.
3: I would say brown sugar milk tea. I feel like it's the basic standard one and you can never go wrong with it. I think sometimes it can be a little too sweet, but at the right place, I feel like it's my favorite. And I would say my second is taro.
6: So next time you find yourself on a block with both a coffee shop and a boba shop, try the boba. As long as you are in dire need of a caffeine kick, that is. It's not for everyone, but its influence is taking over the hearts and minds of college kids everywhere. Not too much, though. After all, we all need our morning lattes. Hold the tapioca pearls. For WNUR News, I'm Lara Weissman. It was a busy week for athletics all across
0: campus. Brendan Priestman has the N.U.R. Sports Report.
7: Hi, I'm Brendan Priestman. Here's your N.U. Sports Report for this week. On Saturday, the football team traveled to Iowa City to take on the Iowa Hawkeyes for the third game of their Big Ten schedule. The Cats started off slow, going down 10 to nothing at the end of the first quarter and 20 to nothing at halftime. Brendan Sullivan led a bit of an offensive renaissance in the second half, throwing for a pair of touchdowns, but the Cats fell, 33-13. This was the seventh straight loss for Northwestern, which now sits at 1-7 on the year. Their next opponent will be the number 2 Ohio State Buckeyes, who will visit Ryan Field at 11 a.m. this Saturday. In field hockey, the defending national champions have hit their stride, and currently hold a five-game winning streak after a 3-1 victory over Miami of Ohio on Sunday. Bente Baker scored her 22nd goal of the season in the third quarter, and Lauren Wattis and Lane Herbert also chipped in goals. The Cats also defeated Indiana last Friday 2 to 1 with Bakers garnering both a goal and an assist. The five-game winning streak closes out an excellent year for Northwestern, which is currently ranked number 4 in the nation. They finished the year 15 and 3 overall and 5 and 3 in Big 10 play, which puts them at third in the conference behind number 2 Maryland and number 3 Penn State. They will begin Big 10 tournament play on Thursday in Columbus at 4 p.m. against number 17 Rutgers, the last team to defeat the Cats, which they did on October 8th. In soccer, the women's team advanced to the semifinals of the Big Ten tournament on Sunday by defeating Rutgers at home in a 2-1 comeback victory. Rowan Lappie scored her sixth goal of the year to kickstart the comeback, and Nicole Set gave the Cats the lead for good with her first goal of the year. The team is now 14-3-2 and and overall and moves to play Penn State and Columbus at 4:30 on Thursday. And just like field hockey, they will start the Big Ten tournament on Ohio State's premises. As for men's soccer, Ethan Dudley's third goal of the year from the penalty spot led to an upset of Michigan State and pushed the Cats to 3-8-5 and overall. With the conference win, the team also clinched a spot in the Big Ten tournament. They will travel to College Park to take on Maryland, and that game will be at 7 p.m. on Friday. Meanwhile, the volleyball team had an excellent weekend, defeating number 12 Purdue in a five set Thriller on Friday and sweeping Iowa on Sunday. Against Purdue, the Cats prevailed in dramatic fashion, winning 25-23, 23-25, 25-18, 17-25, and 15-11. Megan Miller provided 30 digs, and Temi thomas Aylar had another spectacular performance with 25 kills. The victory was Northwestern's first over the Boilermakers since 2016, and also gave the Wildcats their 16th victory of the year, which has tied for the most for the team since 2018. The Iowa match was just the Cats being clutch, and they swept the Hawkeyes 26-24, 25-23, and 25-21. It gave the team their first four-game winning streak in Big Ten play since 2011, and gave them a 17-7 record with just a month to go in the season. TTA and Miller led the way again with 19 kills and 18 digs, respectively, while Sienna Nordemir added 41 assists, marking the third time in the last four matches that she has garnered over 40 assists. The Cats will continue their homestand this weekend with matches against number 6 Ohio State on Friday at 7 and against number 4 Nebraska on Sunday at 1. Should the Cats win one or both of those matches, they will assuredly move into the coaches' poll after receiving just six votes last week. That wraps up your NU Sports Report for this week. For more information about upcoming games, as well as how you can watch the Wildcats live, visit nusports.com. I'm Brendan Prizman, WNUR News.
0: A look at the weather for tonight. Expect a low of 52 degrees. Winds are expected to be up to 10 miles per hour with a slight chance of rain. Highs of 72 for tomorrow in Evanston with mostly clear skies. Tomorrow night, a low of 59 degrees and cloudy skies. Taking a look into the headlines, former Democratic National Convention Chair Tom Perez spoke at Northwestern Tuesday evening. Northwestern College Democrats hosted the event featuring student-submitted questions and direct questions from the audience. Perez spoke on his work revamping the Democratic Party after its losses in 2016 and emphasized that campaigning on reproductive rights might turn more voters blue this November. Soldier Field will house Taylor Swift's Eras Tour in 2023, the singer announced Tuesday. On June 2nd and 3rd, Swift will perform alongside openers Girl in Red and Owen. The general public can buy tickets starting November 18th. CVS Health and Walgreens Corporation announced today settlements over the opioid epidemic. The United States government accuses both companies, along with countless others, of distributing opioids to customers, contributing to the epidemic. CVS Health and Walgreens Corporation will each pay $5 billion in settlements, bringing the total value of all settlements to over $50 billion. Settlement money will be used by state and local governments to combat opioids. In Sydney, Australia, five lions escaped the Sydney Zoo Tuesday evening, resulting in an immediate lockdown. No one was injured in the incidents, and the lions were secured within five minutes, or within minutes, according to BBC News. A reason for the breach has not yet been identified, and the zoo will remain in lockdown until further inspections are conducted. That's all for WNUR News at 6 p.m. For more news updates and reports, follow us on Twitter at WNUR News. You can listen to these and other WNUR News stories on our website, WNUR.news. That's WNUR.news. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Our producer today is Alex Harrison, and our reporters are Mary Randolph, Veronica Silvosa, Laura Weissman, and Brandon Priestman. From all of us here at WNUR News, thank you for listening. I'm Ellie Stevens. Catch our next newscast on Friday, November 5th at 6 p.m. Now, back to scheduled programming.